Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts, Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 59, as we will be continuing our study in the book of Mark, chapter 15. Uh, This week's episode is going to be about the uh, death of Jesus Christ or the crucifixion. Uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and the next week we're going to get into the resurrection. But I do want to just point you back to an old episode. We did an interview with Dr. Gary Habermas, and we talked all about the resurrection. And he's a leading researcher in academia about proving that the resurrection actually happened. So you could say he's in the apologetics world of being able to do that. So I just want to point you back there within these first next episodes to get more content on our discussion that we're going to be having. Uh, But hey, Dakota, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, man? Man, it's been actually really good. Yeah, we're, we've had uh, some really good Sundays here recently at church. We yep. said in our last episode that a lot of people are coming, and the same thing happened this Sunday. Uh, the breakfast was pretty awesome, seeing the whole gym filled with people, both services uh, being well attended. It's just a, a very healthy time at OBC. Uh, it's great to see people connecting with one another and enjoying the Word and enjoying worship. Worship was awesome. I hope the message was okay. Uh, all around, it's just it's fun. It's seeing it's fun seeing the parking lot so full that cars are are now parking on the side of the street all along the neighborhood. It's just wild. It is. I feel like my past experiences in a ministry role have been a different discussion. Has been the opposite of that, right? Uh, how do we get people here? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, how do we uh, reach people in our community? How do we, you know, do all these? Now we're doing it all. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing. We, we have a strategy, we have a vision that God has given us, and we're following that vision, and we're seeing the fruit of being faithful to that yeah. uh, and following God's Word. But now we are introduced to new problems, which are we would say are good problems to have. They are. And it's stretching our, our minds. We have discussions all throughout the week, then things pop up. Well, what about this? And what if we try this? And, and then just this morning being reminded that God's going to provide. That's right. So. Yeah, God is going to provide, and I think the biggest thing is just to remain continuously dependent upon Him. You know, as we are dependent on the Lord, then He's going to provide. But the biggest thing we want to do is not get our eyes off of the fact that we are ministering to human souls. We are ministering to people, and they need the Word of God, and the church needs to be healthy. So that's our aim. That's where we're going. It has been fun, though. Yeah, it has. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we are going to— Hey, and just—sorry, just not to cut you off, but before we pray, we're going to be finishing the book of Mark here soon. Where are we headed after? We're going to go right into the book of Acts. Yeah. And talk about how the church started Yep. Uh, post the resurrection and Jesus' ascension uh, and what the apostles are going to do in response to what Jesus has told them to do, which is go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, we're continuing with a narrative format. We're continuing yep. with what happens to the people of God after Jesus resurrects from the dead, and Jesus essentially sends them out. And I think this really fits well with our church vision statement to live sent, because that's exactly what the book of Acts is all about. Yeah, and so... Acts was written by Luke, or we could say it's just a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Even though we're finishing up Mark here, uh, we're still 
following up after a gospel. Uh, but if you've studied Luke lately, and I know in the men's Bible study right now for Auto Bible, we are on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. at Corner Market. And um, that's been a lot of fun. But it'd, so it'd be cool to get into Acts and be able to explore that a little bit. That's right. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, have a podcast. Thank you for the resources yeah. to be able to do it and be able to just have conversation about your word. I uh, hope that uh, everybody listening is encouraged and spurred on to go and have conversations about the Bible. Open the Bible, read it, and talk about it. Um, that's what we want people to do. We just want people to talk about you and be excited about it. Uh, we don't know what's in the Bible unless we read it, unless we learn it. And so I hope that we can all do that. And then today, just uh, be with us as we talk about uh, the ultimate sacrifice that you have done for us by sending your son and putting him on a cross to die for our sins. Uh, and let us really spend time in prayer and uh, discussion and really looking at what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to start us off here. Last week we finished with uh, chapter 15, verse really verse 21. We approached there, Jesus is arrested, he's mocked. Now Jesus is ready to be crucified. So Mark 15, 22, then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. I think verses 22 to 30 is a f sufficient place to stop just for now. So one thing, and I'll just start us off, and then Kyle, I'll ask you just for your brief observations. But it's interesting that when you're reading Mark's gospel, he doesn't feel the need to really describe the crucifixion as much because he's writing to an audience of Romans who most definitely would have understood what crucifixion was. Luke gives you a little bit more details. John gives you a little more details. So does Matthew. But Mark is very short. He's very concise with just saying, look, verse 24, and they crucified him. And then he went from speaking about crucifying him to dividing up his clothes and he being mocked, right? To a Roman audience, everyone would have understood this is the most horrific death anyone could have ever experienced. The Romans were experts at killing you and killing you slowly. And in fact, the word that we have for excruciating is from the very root word of crucifixion. It perfectly describes the most excruciating pain you could ever think of. So I just think that's unique to this account. You know, first thing that comes to my mind is uh, Mark felt no need to really share all the details. Yeah, and so they, they take Jesus to a place called... Golgotha, translated place of a skull. So in verse twenty-two, yeah. So they, they're, they're going to this place that's known for executions, right? Yeah. 
It's where they take criminals. It's where executions place take place. So the it was no random spot. It was not. It was where they normally did it. <laughs> um, and so they a few things about this place that you know could be why they called the place of a skull. Well, the fact that there were probably skulls of people who were executed in the past all, uh, over. all over the place. Uh, the other the other thought the other thing that has been communicated is that the actual hill or place that it was at looked like a skull. Uh, or the top of it was round, like as if a skull. So it was a pretty dark place. I mean, you only went here for this specific reason. You didn't like hang out on the place where they execute people unless there was executions. In fact, I remember one of our professors, John Korea, he and his wife uh, went to Jerusalem. What was it like a few years ago? And they actually took a picture in front of Golgotha in the the hill or, you know, it's not a mountain, but the hill itself does actually look like a skull even to this day. Yeah. So pretty, pretty dark place, descriptive. We know an exact place of where it happened and we know that place exists today. So this is just a good historical marker, a geographical marker of where this took place. And it was outside of the city, which is prophetic in nature because uh, the Passover lamb had to have been, or the scapegoat had to have been pushed outside the city, right? Mm -hmm. So not only do you have Jesus dying as the Passover lamb, but you also have him as the scapegoat, which is taken outside of the community of fellowship. So they're crucifying him outside of the, f- the fellowship and the community. They're isolating him, essentially. Yeah, and then in verse 23 also uh, brings up a question for me right away. Uh, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So this would be a mixture of alcohol, essentially, that would help with the pain. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said no. Right. Um, Jesus, Jesus said no, because he had to know what it meant to take on the full wrath of God and all the pain that came with it. There was no part of him that was going to say, yeah, I'll take a little bit of that painkiller. So I don't feel it that much. And I can kind of deaden the pain or get to a place where I don't feel what's happening at all. Uh, he was pure mm-hmm. in the whole position. There was no point in which he took that like another criminal may have like, yeah, give it to me. I don't want to feel that pain. I don't want to know this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus said no to that. Something else. And I just learned this in a class that I was taking a few months back about that verse specifically. You are correct in that he denied it because he wanted to take on the full pain. That is uh, one aspect of the human element. Something else in addition to that is if you read and I believe it's Leviticus 10. It gives the qualifications for a priest who's about to make his offering to God mm. in a proper way. And in Leviticus, a priest cannot make an offering to God while under the consumption of alcohol, which is really interesting because Jesus is the high priest and he is the sacrifice. So drinking alcohol would have been sinful for him to do so. That would have uh, it's amazing that Jesus even knew what Leviticus said there. I mean, he knew every word, of course. So not just from a physical standpoint, but a spiritual standpoint, he's refusing it because that's not what a priest should do during his time of offering. Uh, and Jesus is offering himself. Mm-hmm. So he's fulfilling scripture. That's that's incredible to me. Yeah, and then Mark kind of continues his theme of not giving too many details uh, because the next verse, I mean, in four words, he says... And they crucified him, mm-hmm. um, divide up his garments among themselves, casting lots uh, to take who's who's going to decide um, each man should take. And that's a fulfillment from Psalm 22 as well, yep. which I, I've never really done any research here on, on that part. I don't fully understand why you would want uh, 
a person's raggedy, bloody, dirty clothes and to divide it up. You know, it doesn't really make sense to me. I know it's prophesied that that would happen, but I don't I don't fully understand. I bet there's a lot more to that. The Bible doesn't just give us information for nothing, but just being transparent, like I've never really looked into it. I've just known it as a fulfillment of prophecy, but why would it matter? Maybe it's like bragging rights. You could know, be, could be bragging rights. Look what we did. Yeah. Uh, we took your king. Yeah, we, we have his king. stuff. Um, most, you know, famous person in Israel at the time. Maybe it was evidence to send out to whoever. Yeah. We, we did it. Here's his blood stained yeah. on this cloth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of today when somebody does something famous uh-huh. where they take their things and sell them. Yeah, and they venerate money. it. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That could have happened too. I don't know. This was the cloth that <laughs> Jesus wrote. I mean, yeah. seriously. There were followers, right? So there must be people who want it. Yeah. They could be taking advantage of the people. I don't know. It could be, there could be many reasons. I don't, none of that is. For sure. For sure. Uh, but those are just things that humans have done throughout history to yeah. with with things like this, anything famous or a material or a piece of art or anything that was that was significant to history. You know, and this is a great example for our listeners. We do these episodes to show people what a natural conversation would look like. We do very little prep, if any prep at all, before we jump onto these episodes. So we're just naturally talking through scripture. You know, if you're someone who is meeting with somebody else one-on-one and walking them through the scriptures, uh, you know, or you're at least making it your aim to do that, when you come across questions like this, it's really important. Kyle, you and I have talked about this before in our home group situations, Mm -hmm. to make sure that any Bible study or any home group is not led, is not led by a sense of wonder, right? We can quickly start asking questions that start with, I wonder what? Or I wonder how. And those are those are questions and discussions worth having, but they should not be leading your discussion. It's what the text says, right? But if you want to answer those questions, a good resource is blueletterbible.com. You can look up a guy, a commentator named David Guzik. He pretty much gives commentation on every single chapter and verse in the Bible. You also have Constable's Notes by a man named Thomas Constable. He comments on every book of the Bible. And these are great resources that you yourself can use uh, just if you need to look something up. They're free resources online. So that kind of eliminates the wonder question in natural conversations. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly that's happened at times. We're studying the book of Revelation as a church, and that can easily happen. And so it's just good to say, okay, well, let's bring it back to the text real quick exactly, and, and talk about what the text is saying before we go and wonder uh, and make sure we understand. Because you think what we're doing right now, we're, we're getting off on like a, a what if about these garments. Mm-hmm. Jesus just died for us. Yeah, exactly. Right? We Case in point. Get, we can't get away from that. Yeah. Case in point. Jesus just did the thing that we none of us deserve, but we're all amazingly grateful for and why we live in obedience to him. <laughs> So we have to not get away from, well, what did the Roman guards do? Well, Jesus just died. So we need to talk about why he is dying and and why Mark said these things in this specific order uh, so we can continue to follow Jesus. Well, in fairness, because the text gives us that, right? It adds to the element of, okay, Jesus just died for us and his garments were divided up. Why does that matter? But we should all, we should be very careful to just anchor ourselves to the text. The Bible's job is not to give you every detail about 
everything. The Bible's job is to give you the necessary details to bring you to the necessary points. So, all that being said, we continue on verse 25. You know, as you're looking at it, the third hour they crucified him. That would have been nine o'clock in the morning. Why is that intriguing to you? Let me just ask you a question off the cuff. Why is it intriguing to you? Uh, just naturally, by way of natural observation. Okay, this all happened and it's still only 9 a.m. What do you think? That's in the morning? Yeah. I mean, who knows how long Jesus has been beaten? I mean, I don't know. There's, it's Early in the morning doesn't seem like that would happen. You'd think, oh, maybe they started beating him at this time, and, and then they crucified him. So who knows how long he's been going through torture uh, at this point. Right. Um, because, or how long he's been hanging on the cross, or how, I mean— uh, one thing that we we do we do see in the in the timeline, I know in John chapter nineteen it says it was at the sixth hour, about noon, when Pilate announced the verdict. Yeah. Um, so we know that Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's been hanging on the cross for a while, and he will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, very interesting time, nine in the morning. So how long has this been going on? Would be my question, uh, especially the beating and the the ridicule and. The parading through the street, um, carrying the cross, um, going to this place. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think here about the betrayal and the arrest back in Mark chapter 14. Um, I, I seem to remember somewhere it showed as at a certain hour that they arrested him. Um, I'm thinking it may have been like six in the morning. But nevertheless, the point I'm, I'm trying to bring up Uh, lest we belabor the point, is a lot has been done under the cover of night. You know, in this culture, it was common for people to stay up late into the night and to have a slow morning. You know, even if you go to the Middle East today, people stay up till 11 o'clock. You know, they don't eat dinner till like 11 o'clock, midnight, whatever. And then they have a slower morning. So what the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were doing was they were using the morning to their advantage to keep all this under wraps. Now, the crowds are up. Uh, I imagine the crowds over time start to gather and gather and gather. But man, a lot has been accomplished in just a few At hours. Yeah. And by 9 a.m., he's already on the cross. Yeah, I mean, we, we see the betrayal, or not the betrayal, the denial from Peter, right? Yeah. That was happening at night. Right. And it says the rooster would crow. So the roosters crow in the morning. <laughs> Yes. Right. They don't normally crow in the middle of the night um, before the rooster crows twice. Uh, you will deny me three times, Jesus says to Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens. So we know that Peter denies Jesus throughout the night to the morning. And then at that point, Jesus is being beaten, brought in before the crowds. They say crucify him. And now he is headed up to he is now on uh, this hill. Uh, Golgotha on a cross being crucified and it is about nine in the morning. Yeah. Some other details that we see Pilate, of course, makes sure that the inscription says the King of the Jews. That was of course to mock the Jews. Yeah. And then we see that others were crucified along with him. Uh, we do see later on that one of those individuals uh, in other gospel accounts uh, came to know Jesus as Lord and savior at the last minute. Right, And I'm very thankful for that story, too, because it tells us a lot about the nature of salvation. It's truly by faith. It's truly momentary. Um, 
But if there's a theme that you continue to see, just 27 on the way to 30, it's it's the continued hurling of abuse, and it's the continued mockery of everyone who's walking by. In this culture, they actually crucified you at, at, at such a level where people could spit in your face and, and slap you and insult you. Mm-hmm. And you were probably there naked, too. You know, we see pictures of Jesus wearing a loincloth or something to that. But no, Jesus was probably fully exposed and being, you know, mocked and abused at the time. That's just horrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we look back on pictures of, like, of hangings, and there was always a crowd, uh, and people mocked people and threw things at them before. Um, but I even see this as even more grotesque than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people were doing whatever. I mean, there was almost no holds bar on what you can do unless the Roman soldier told you to stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just humiliating yeah. um, to at this point being killed in front of everybody, uh, naked, beaten, bleeding. They put the uh, plaque up there, King of the Jews, to mock uh, who he says he is. Um, yeah, I mean, it was as humiliating as you can possibly imagine of a death. And and also again, surprise, surprise, another touch of irony. Verse thirty: Save yourself and come down from the cross. The very people who need him to remain on the cross are the very people mocking him and calling him to come down from the cross to save himself. The irony is he's up there to save you. I mean, one thing that we see in the Gospels is the complete blindness of people to what Jesus was doing. You're going to see someone's eyes opened to what Jesus is doing here later on in this crucifixion account. But for now, the people are completely blind. Yeah, there's a Greek scholar, A.T. Robinson, describes the mocking of the of them as in acting like silly children who love to mock one another. Yeah. I mean, you think about uh, children who just run around and, and kind of bully each other or mess around and being silly. There's like a, they don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> Exactly. You know what I mean? Like they don't even know kind of how mean they're being. They don't even understand the circumstance. Uh, They don't understand how it makes other people feel. I mean, they're doing this with such um, just, they just don't know who Jesus is. It is crazy. Yeah. Well, as we continue on into the count, we get into verses 31 to 41, uh, more details about his crucifixion. So Kyle, if it's okay, I'll, I'll just read the next portion. Go for it says, in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, there's mockery in their voice, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. It's almost like they're saying, we want to believe that you are telling the truth, so come down from there. He he is who he said he is. But now the leadership of Israel is is just in complete foolishness and wickedness. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. So you see a continued theme. The mockery of Pilate with the inscription above his head. Although he was directing that at Israel, but nevertheless, at Jesus' expense. The mockery of the crowd, number two. The Mockery of the religious leaders, number three, and then the mockery 
the mockery of even the criminals who were being crucified next to him. It's almost like the Bible just gives you a full-on category of people, whether you're in a person of power, a person of religious influence, (laughs) a common person, a criminal, like all across the board, like all of us, all of us because of our sin put Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. And all of us at one point with our life mocked him. That's just something I'm I'm seeing right now. But verse 33, when the sixth hour came, and we know that the sixth hour is um, should be noon. The sixth hour, noon came, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. At the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and that means Jesus was on the cross for six hours. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Kyle, you and I, before this episode, we did some preparation here in verse 34. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, David's psalm. And he's using the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's hang out here for a couple minutes. Yeah, let's first, first let's talk about this, the darkness over the whole land oh, real gotcha. quick. Absolutely. That's um, there, there was a remarkable darkness over the land. Mm-hmm. And we know that Mark actually lets us know how long it lasted. It said it stayed dark for three hours. Wow. Three hours. And this is the middle of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So this isn't nighttime, <laughs> shouldn't yeah. be dark, right. but there was an extraordinary solar eclipse as well as an earthquake that took place. It was almost as if like creation itself was feeling the suffering that Jesus was taking on the cross. That's good. Um, just darkness, earthquake. I mean, if you're there, if you're these people mocking Jesus and this darkness comes over and this, like how much I feel like that would be fear and trembling would take place. Like, what is happening? This <laughs> darkness in the afternoon doesn't happen, uh, especially for this long, and there's an earthquake. I just think at this point, there's got to be some people that are like, um, what just happened? What just happened? Mm-hmm. Did we just did we just do something <laughs> that we shouldn't have done? I mean, all kinds of questions had to have been asked. So it just seems like this would be a moment where somebody would have to respond to this because it it didn't make sense. This was something that was almost as if it was a kind of a miracle-like of thing happening, something that was outside of the norm. There's a website called CARM, not Karma, but CARM.org, C-A-R-M, stands for Christian Apologetics Resource Ministry. And on this website, they give a number of apologetic resources, and there's actually some external history, some indication that this took place as well, uh, recorded even outside of the Bible. But yes, it's it's almost like um, God's displeasure, you know, with, with man's sin and what they did to Jesus. And yet, at the same time, God provided to save those very people that he's upset with. Um, so there's a lot to be said, you know, in this moment. And then you move to Jesus' statement about you know, God forsaking him, God the Father. Yeah, the mention of the remarkable darkness and earthquake was actually, I'm reading it from a Roman historian. So this isn't uh, a Christian historian, but somebody who uh, studies ancient Rome and what was going on there, who actually talks about this extraordinary solar eclipse and earthquake that happened. So let's get to the part where, you know, Psalm 
quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this question that Jesus throws out there. Um, and at first glance, what do you notice, Dakota? Well, I just pulled up Constable's notes. We referred to this resource earlier in, in this episode. Uh, and here's an example to which I would agree with the statement being made. It says, Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is why he expressed his agony of separation as a question. Jesus was not asking God for an answer. The question was rhetorical. As Jesus used this verse, it expressed an affirmation of his relationship to God as his father and a feeling that the father had abandoned him. Jesus expressed this feeling in David's words. God abandoned Jesus in the judicial sense that he focused his wrath on the Son. Since Jesus was God, the Father did not literally abandon the Son. The members of the Trinity are forever united. And of course, we know later on, and and this is just something that I'm reading down the line, we know that Jesus uh, says at the very end, right before he dies, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. So I think what Jesus is feeling is this communion and separation from God the Father, because our sin is upon him, he's feeling that as a man. Remember, he was baptized earlier in Mark's gospel to identify with mankind, right? But I don't believe this went to the extent where the Trinity stopped being the Trinity. Correct. I I think Jesus is asking a rhetorical question because all throughout the gospel, what has he been telling his disciples? He's been telling his disciples that the Son of Man is going to be crucified and resurrected on the third day, and they don't get it. They have no clue. So, it's not like Jesus is unaware of his final destination. In fact, in other gospel accounts, he is intentionally making his way to Jerusalem because he knows what will happen to him there. He's laying his life down as an offering to save sinners. So, the question is not like Jesus thinking, Oh, Father, why have you done this? And he has no clue. No, it's a rhetorical question to which Jesus knows the answer because he is expressing how he feels on the cross. Man, the sin of mankind has separated me from fellowship with my Father that I have never in all eternity experienced. Pretty intense. Yeah, and then for a little bit more biblical context, we have in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him so we knew that God is in him because he is God, right? Um, and then in, and then two verses before that, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself at the cross. Yeah. So there wasn't a full separation because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so we know that the Trinity was never broken apart uh here in the explanation in second corinthians of who christ is and what god did through christ uh and that he reconciled the world through the blood on the cross yeah. and so uh just just another piece of biblical context to kind of see what the relationship here between the father and the son and the holy spirit and what was taking place but the son did take on the full wrath of god the punishment for our sin on the cross. Uh, that did happen uh, for us to reconcile us. Um, and so what an amazing event in history uh, that occurred. Yeah, absolutely. 
As we continue through the account, we now get to verse 35. When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And if you remember Elijah's ministry in the Old Testament, it was times of distress and famine. And God often used Elijah to deliver certain people. So there's this commonly held belief in this culture that Elijah could have delivered people. So they were thinking that Jesus had done so. Now, we come across verse 36, which is interesting because, you know, we noted earlier in verse 23 that Jesus did not take uh, wine mixed with myrrh. Um, But then look what it says in verse 36. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. Every Roman soldier was given a sponge as a part of his arsenal so that in battle he could wipe himself after he had gone to the bathroom. So likely it's this Roman soldier using his own sponge that's dirtied, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that Jesus drank it. It just says that he gave him a drink. He offered it to him. Um, so more, we you know, we'd have to look into that some more. But we continue with the account. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Yeah, we also see, you know, in the Old Testament, a, a sour wine vinegar uh, that was mentioned as a refreshing drink. And this would have been a common beverage among that they dipped it in among laborers and soldiers to relieve thirst. That would have been the point of this, this, this sponge and the and the liquid that was in it. So essentially, non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. Right. It was something to kind of allow you know to to quench a thirst, not to relieve pain. Mm-hmm. And it was very. It says it. It was very inexpensive. It was com- It was a common thing. It wasn't something. Uh, it was something everybody would have. I have a note here from Constables. It may be added that the late Dr. Jerome, sorry, Dr. Jerome Webster of Presbyterian Hospital, New York, and a longtime student of the effects of crucifixion on the human system, told me in a conversation that given the death of the victim by exhaustion and suffocation, anything given to the victim to drink would hasten the process, would quicken the process of suffocation. Um, In Mark's account, the soldier spoke, uh, and in Matthew's, the people spoke, but evangelists were undoubtedly accurate, or both evangelists were undoubtedly accurate. I I see that as a probability as well. Whatever they're offering Jesus, it's it's there to maybe quench his thirst, but to speed up the process, depending on what it's made out of. Yeah, and I mean, we're He's right here. It says he cried out and breathed his last breath. I don't, Jesus was about, he was at his last breath when this was happening. That's it. Um, there was, it was, he was about to die. I mean, and he does. Uh, he cries out with a loud voice and breathes his last breath. Well, what would sour wine, if you drink anything that's sour, what does it do to you? It causes you to like cough a little bit. Mm-hmm. It causes you to become even shorter of breath, to be honest. So that's probably it. It's, it's bringing him to a place where he would, He would finish it off. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So verses 38 to 41 are pretty significant. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hallelujah. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the less, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. 
and there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And these last few verses are probably where we're going to end today's episode. But anything significant from 38 to 41 as we start to close? Yeah, well, the veil of the temple is torn in two from heaven. Amen. You would naturally think it'd be easier to tail, to tear such a veil um, a couple of inches thick with animal hide right from bottom to top as if man could do that if he wanted to. But it was God who did it from top down. Yeah, yeah so it pretty much signifies the free access to the throne of grace by God because of the cross. Right. I mean, what was what was the, the veil of the temple for? Separated the Holy of Holies uh, and God's presence in there from the rest of mankind, from the rest of mankind. And we only had a high priest uh, go in there once a year and uh, that was it. Yeah. And so uh, now it being torn from heaven, opening it up, allowing access to not just the high priest to to God, but everybody. Isn't it amazing that in verse 37... Jesus breathes his last, the very next thing to happen, almost as if right away, as soon as he breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying what I've allowed my son to do for you has now given you, the believer, access to my presence at all times. Yeah, it's almost like that last (sighs) veil torn right at that moment. Yeah. Because it was complete. It was done. Almost like the... The pulling of a trigger and, and the shooting off of a gun. Yep. I mean, bang, bang. Just yeah. Just like that. So just just an amazing... And then, uh, right after this, and who knows why Mark put this here. I mean, it's good to like... The veil is torn, and right away, who <laughs> who comes to know the Lord? Mm-hmm. A Roman soldier. A, yeah. A Gentile. Yes. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Says, truly, truth... Yep. This man is the son of God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how amazing that it wasn't, They did, he didn't insert a, a Pharisee that came to know the Lord. He didn't insert a, a religious leader, but a man who is standing there, who is a Gentile, who is a Roman, uh, who is there putting him to death. I mean, I, there's something significant there about who can come to the Lord now, mm-hmm. uh, who has access uh, to the Father through the Son, That's anybody who believes. Absolutely. Something that's unique is Mark writes his gospel specifically to the Roman audience, not just Gentiles in general, but specifically to the Romans. That's why his gospel is so short. So if you're writing a gospel to a Roman audience and the Roman audience gets to the end of the story and one of their own centurions is the eyewitness who said, surely this man is a son of God. That's pretty incredible. There's only a few times in Mark's gospel that Mark essentially gives you exactly who Jesus is. I mean, the majority of the book is Mark showing how Jesus wanted everybody to be quiet about Jesus's uh, identity. So Mark in chapter one, verse one, the first verse of the book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Mark gives you his opinion there. Then there's just a couple of other places like when Jesus comes to the disciples, I believe it's in oh chapter 7, chapter 8, somewhere around there. He asks his disciples, hey, I, I, what do the crowds say about me? Okay, what do you say about me? And then Peter comes up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then, of course, we know that Jesus gives his identity to the Sanhedrin when he's on trial. 
Pilate looks him in the eyes and says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. And now you have another announcement, the announcement of a Roman centurion himself. This is the son of God. Yeah. This is starting and ending the book with this is who he is. And then we have another group of people who did not have access to the Holy of Holies, right? We had the Jewish men who then would be a high priest who had access, but now we have the Gentiles who would have not had that. And then we have women. Oh, good point. Now who, you get to verse 40 and 41. The faithful women who followed Jesus, who would have only been able to go so far into the temple, mm-hmm. just like the Gentiles. Oh, yeah, like the outer courts. The outer courts, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now there is no restriction <laughs> in a sense, right? So we see these two groups of people that may not have had that same access. They weren't part of the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or the religious group of people. They were they were seen as less than maybe uh, to the religious leaders. And uh, we see that in the centurion and we see that in the women. And the women are the ones who came and ministered um, after Jesus's death. And, and they're pointed out here. I think also to close, you know, our last episode, we're going to talk about the burial of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the women, of course, even there, who are present when the other disciples, whom you would think would be faithful and present, are not. So this verse shows us, first of all, the women are there with Jesus at the end of the day when all this happened. But where are the men? Where are the disciples? And then you're going to see a number of women eyewitnesses with the resurrection as well. So as we come back for our last episode next week, I think what Jesus is establishing is yet again a great sense of irony. Uh, the women were following faithful, but where's where's the men? Um, the good thing, the good news about Jesus dying on a cross is he didn't remain dead. If he remained dead, then you and I need to stop being Christians today, stop being pastors today, need to lead our family in another way. But what we're going to get to next week is what Christianity as a religion, as a faith, rests and stands on alone. Uh, If Jesus resurrected from the dead, he demands a response from everybody who's ever lived. And if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then all of this is a big hoax. And we of most men are to be pitied as fools, as Paul says. Yeah, and the only reason our church exists today, uh, and we're going to see eventually the response of Jesus's apostles and disciples. Um, Right now, they're kind of uh, not in the scene. But the book of Acts that we're going to get into next. They come back. They come back. Mm-hmm. So there, there is hope beyond the death and the resurrection of what the response of men and women uh, to his death and resurrection. And we're going to get into that in the book of Acts next time. Uh, but uh, we will finish the next episode uh, in the book of Mark. And so, Dakota, you want to pray us out? Yeah. Father, thank you for just... This day where Kyle and I could sit down and talk over the scriptures, we pray that we would become greater disciples in the process. Discipleship doesn't happen without your word. Salvation doesn't happen without your word. Lord, we pray for everyone listening that they would see and understand that unless they get someone before the scriptures, or at least to hear the scriptures, to hear the gospel, people won't be saved. Uh, We can put all of our investments into relationships and to barbecues and watching football games and doing all these other things. But if, if we don't get people to the scriptures, how will they hear without a preacher? So thank you so much for your word. We pray that 
uh, a culture of discipleship would grow where people would sit down one-to-one with others and read the Bible with them and let the Word of God do the work on their heart. Thank you so much for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Be Disciples podcast. Please share this podcast with a friend, a family member, whether that's just word of mouth or on social media or whatever that may be. Uh, We just want people to hear the Word of God, uh, especially an episode like this where we talked about the death of Jesus Christ and all that He has done for us on the cross and sharing the gospel with people. So please share, and we'll see you next time.